Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed, and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. So I'm ready for the Word of God today. How many have ever lost something that was very precious to you? Uh, at times in life, uh, at times in life, we've all had, uh, well, I should say in my life, we have had things that we found in the information center here that they have the lost and found in the back. We found keys. We found uh, coats. We found sweaters. We found shoes. Don't ask me how they got out here without shoes, okay? We have found so many different things over the years that are back there, Bibles, new ones and old ones, and uh, all kinds of different things from keys, and, and so that's called the lost and found. But one thing for sure is whenever you lose something and you find it, how many know you're happy about that? And so really the theme of what we're going to be talking about is lost and found, and it's taken from the book of Luke chapter 15, where we see three parables that are brought one after the next that Jesus brings. He brings about the lost sheep and how he leaves the 99 and goes after the one that was lost, and then he brings the one back, and it says there's great rejoicing in the presence of the angels over the one sheep that was lost and was returned back. And then we see the parable of the lost coin, which we're going to be speaking about today. And then he goes in even afterwards on the parable of the lost son and how we call him the prodigal son and how the father was there waiting for that son to return back home. So according to what the scripture says, uh, Jesus was uh, made friends with lost people. As a matter of fact, in Luke 15, 1, you can see he hung out with notorious individuals. He hung out with what the Bible even says there were sinner people out there. And he didn't shame them. He wasn't there just to humiliate them. But it said they came out often to hear the teaching of what it is that Jesus had to say. So we're greatly encouraged by that. But what's very, very interesting in is when the writer Matthew brings out the same story in Matthew chapter 18, he adds something else in there. And he goes not only to the lost sheep, but then he goes in right afterwards and tells us how the lost sheep got off stray, how the lost sheep got off course, how the lost sheep was uh, made shipwreck of their faith. And he gives the whole message over there in Matthew 18 about offenses that are there. And how many know really what sends a lot of people today is they get offended. And Jesus talked about that quite extensively. He warned about that, and he shared about that. And in the day and hour that we're in today, how many know we're living in last days? And many people, they don't even realize it, how offense triggers and how it, it comes into their lives. And if we don't guard our hearts, how many know offenses can take a place in our heart that we really don't want there? And it can also open it up to the tormentors and can work it up into enslavement of the bondages of old that can come back up. So we taught on that a little bit the last time we were here. But today's message is going to be about a story called The Lost Coin that Kathy and I are going to go into in a few minutes. Go ahead. Well, when you lose something that's valuable to you, how many know that you search and search and search for it? You, you want yeah, to make sure that you find it. I remember a number of years ago, I lost my passport. 
and it was just a few weeks before, it was actually maybe a month before I needed it to go away overseas. And um, so I was pretty desperate to find it. And what had happened a couple years earlier, I had had my purse stolen and with my passport in it. And so I had to get a replacement. When you have one passport stolen, and then if you lose a second passport, they actually flag you. And then they actually told me when I got a replacement that if you lose this passport, you know, you have to renew every year and you, you know, it's, it would just be, be a little bit of a hassle. So I was desperate to find this passport. And we searched everywhere. We couldn't find it. And we searched the car, searched the house, had no idea where it went. It just seemed to disappear. And then about two weeks later, after we prayed, we sent angels out. You know, have you ever sent angels out to find things? Come on. I do that when, you know, when I can't find it. I sent angels out and I just kept making declarations. I'm going to find that passport. It's going to show up somewhere. Well, about two weeks later, I was, uh, we went over to the States actually on a Monday night. And I don't even know why we did because we normally don't go on Monday nights. But we went and we did a bit of shopping, came back. Then the following Friday, we were back over there, and I had to buy a Mother's Day present for Rick's mom. And uh, we were in a Macy's store, and I found something, and I went to pay for it with my Macy's card, and I couldn't find my Macy's card. And everything else was there, but the Macy's card was missing, and I'm like, what is going on? You know, a couple weeks ago, I lost my passport. Now I can't find my Macy's card. So um, I told the lady, you know, and uh, she said, well, where did you last have it? And I said, well, I was in Macy's on Monday night. She said, well, you need to go back wherever you were, whatever Macy's it was, and find out, because they get rid of the cards after the first few days. So if you go right now, you might be able to find it. So we rush over to the other Macy's store, and I go to the where I had made a payment, where I'd bought something, and they said, well, yeah, there was a card left here, but we sent it upstairs. So I go up to customer service, and um, so I'm looking for my Macy's card, and she said, oh, well, you, you know, I think we got rid of it, but wait a minute, I'll check in this bag. So she pulls this bank bag, you know, like the kind you make deposits in. She pulls this bag out. She's rummaging through the bag, and she comes out with the Macy's card. So I'm all excited. Yay, I found my Macy's card. But I happen to glance inside the bag because she's looking in it in front of me. And I happen to glance in and I noticed a passport in that bag. And I said to her, can I see that passport? She pulls out, it was my passport. And it was like freaky, you know, because I never had, I never had my passport out in a Macy's store. Like, I don't know how it got in that bag. And um, so anyway... I just thought that was God, you know, that I happened to lose the Macy's card. Only time I've ever done that ends up in a bag with a passport that I'd got went missing a few weeks earlier. So, um, but I was so grateful that I found that passport. You know, when you lose something so and it I. means a lot to you. Yeah, he was too. And uh, when you lose something and it means a lot to you, you know, it, it, it's, uh, you're so excited when you get it, when you find it. I remember running out to the car, you won't believe this, I found my Macy's card, but my passport was there too. And I was so excited. Well, what's worse to lose is a person that you love. And, you know, when we have people in our lives and we love people and uh, we lose somebody, obviously we lose people when they pass away. You know, sometimes you lose somebody in a relationship. But I'm, I remember quite a few years ago when my kids were young, I was in a mall in Brampton, Ontario, and I was with uh, all of my kids, and back then it was before I married Pastor Rick, and I just had the three girls, and um, they were young, and I remember we were shopping, I don't know what happened, but all of a sudden Tara went missing, and she was seven at the time, 
and I frantically started looking for her. I mean, I was in a panic. I started looking for her, and I could not find her. Like, and I started practically yelling at people to help me look for her. How many know when you, when you lose somebody that, you know, you know that you, you might never see them again. Like, you don't know. And not somebody, one of the store people called security, and they put a lockdown around the mall. And anyway, they, we found her. Some man was walking with her. Now, we don't know whether he took her or whether he found her, you know, and, uh, but I let the security people decide that. They were going to investigate her, but I got her back. But the relief, because when you have a child that goes missing and, you know, or, or someone that goes missing and they're lost, you know, you will stop at nothing to find them. You will stop at nothing. I remember uh, when I was in, this is, must be something that they have in the States, because I'm in a hotel room, he's gone down to a men's conference, and I'm trying to have a nap, and all of a sudden, an alarm goes off on my phone, my cell phone, and it's going, Amber Alert, Amber Alert, Amber Alert, and it's going on naming a gray car where a child was missing in this, you know, gray Ford, and it had the license plate, and it kept going, and it would, I'd get it quiet again, and then five minutes later, come back on again. And I'm thinking, boy, that's a really good system they got when somebody goes missing. You know, like they literally get it on everybody's cell phones. I mean, I was in a hotel, so I wasn't out looking. But, um, you know, people will stop at nothing Try to, find, to find somebody that is lost or taken. And so the lady with the lost coin, you know, it's using a parable there about the lost, you know, how much... Does God care about the lost people? How much does he love those people that are lost? That he knows they're desperate to be found. And he wants to use us to help find them. And and help them come and find their way. And so God, you know, he laid down his life for those people. He laid down his life for them. And, you know, if people do not know Jesus Christ, they are lost. That's what the word of God tells us. Because there's only one way to God, according to the word of God, and that's through the person of Jesus Christ, through the redemptive work of the cross. And the enemy wants to intimidate us, wants to dilute that message, wants us and the world to think there's many ways to God. If there were many ways to God, then God wouldn't have required his son to go through the torturous death that he went through in order to redeem fallen man. If you really understand the crucifixion, if you really understand the sacrifice, if you really understand what Jesus actually did on the cross you will know that he's the only way that's right you won't have a question about it and so people are lost when they don't know jesus come on they are lost they don't understand they don't know the way that god has provided for mankind to be reconciled to god and god loves those people he died for those people he cares about those people in our city in the city of windsor you know we have an accountability a responsibility for this city and for the people that live in the city and there's people out there people last night that contemplated or maybe even committed suicide People that, you know, were crying because their spouse abandoned them or they have a child out there on drugs. They don't know where they are. They don't know what to do. People that are desperate and, 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 you know, just bound up by addiction and bound up by things in this world that are just robbing and zapping them of their life. People that are crying out for help. And guess what? We have the answer. Come on. We are the light. We are the ones that know the way. We are the ones that God uses to reach those people. But we have to be available. 
We have to see them as lost, and we have to care about them as much as I cared about Tara when she went missing, as much as I cared about my passport when it went missing. I have to be pray and believe and seek right. and do whatever I need to do to make sure they're found. Well, let's go to the parable. Are you ready? I'm ready. Luke 15, verse number 8, and let's uh, read this together up here. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and she loses one. Everybody read it with me. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search out? Come on, carefully until she finds it. And then go to the next verse, if you will, number nine. And when she finds it, she will call her friends and neighbors and say, rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repent. So the first thing that we understand over here is the lamp. The, what's the first thing? Number one is she's a woman. Amen. And as I started pondering on this and went to every uh, study, every, um, every uh, what do you call it, concordance, everything I could find about the woman, every commentary that I had, I didn't find what I'm going to tell you right now. And I found out, number one, why did it say the woman? We saw over there the lost son. We saw over there the lost sheep. But over here it says the woman had lost. And then it hit me as I started meditating on this here. The woman is the church because God always uses the church in the feminine gender. Boy, that went over so well, okay? What do you mean by that? I knew you were going to ask. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 says, For I am jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. I promised you as a pure bride to one husband, and that's Christ. So how many know you and I are the bride of Christ? And then Ephesians 5, for husbands, this means love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church, he gave up his life for her. It's always in the feminine gender, the church. So the woman over here is, a, is speaking about the church. How many know the church is God's instrument that he uses to reach lost people? The church is not the building. The church is you and I, the ecclesia, the called out ones, the sent ones on an assignment as the ambassadors of God. But then we see something else. The first thing that she did was she trimmed her lamp. The lamps are not like what we have today on our cell phones where you can have flashlights and just turn them on. Come on. The lamps had a wick on them, and you had to trim it. You had to put oil inside of the lamps, and then you had to trim it to get the thing lit. And then after it lit, what could you do? You could go and you could check out the floor. You could check out the areas. It's kind of like what we would call today the flashlights. So how many have a flashlight on your cell phone? There's an app you can download for free. I use it all the time, okay? So anyway, but there it is. On the cell phone, let me just say something. Last night, Kathy had a, um, she told me the last thing she said was, oh, I forgot to, to hook up my cell phone to charge it. So I says, okay. So I just took it in the, the, the same place that I always do and just stick it in the wall. It's already plugged in the wall. And then I go and I plug it in and just leave it down, okay? She gets up in the morning and it's all charged. But the thing was, the plug head came out of the, out of the socket. So it didn't charge it at all, but, but it was when I, I plugged the thing in, it always goes on. Come on. 
So anyway, how many know that's a sign to you and I? The Bible says, how do you charge your spiritual batteries? How do you get your light to shine? How do you do it? The Bible says, building up yourselves in your most holy faith, praying in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit is how you charge your spiritual batteries. It's how this light will shine. So the woman trimmed her lamp, and she did that. You can read also about uh, the gifts of the Spirit over in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and it speaks about when we pray in other language, we're building ourselves up. We're charging the batteries of our spiritual life. So number one, we see the woman, and then number two, we see the building up of this here. But then it's interesting that the woman had, everybody say, 10 coins. And 10 is very significant in scriptures. The numbers are not there just to take place. We see this here. It wasn't the number 12. It wasn't the number 24. It wasn't the number 9. It was the number 10. And it's very significant when you look it up. It's a complete number, okay? And this number in scripture is found 242 different times. But what blew me away is when I found this out, that this here number signifies the story. It signifies three things. It signifies, number one, everybody say your testimony. Everybody say testimony. And then say number two, law. And then say number three, responsibility. All three of those are right from my dictionary, Bible dictionary, on what the number 10 means. So not only does it mean completion, perfection, but it speaks about over there the testimony, it speaks about law, and it speaks about responsibility. When I saw that, it's just like I got a download that came. And the number one thing that I recognize, what is it that God uses more than anything else to bring people into the kingdom? It's our testimony. The Bible says they overcame Satan by the blood of the lamb, the word of our testimony, and loved not their lives unto death. How many know your testimony is your story? And so what he speaks about is these 10 people is how we're going to reach the lost one out there is number one, it's not about how many scriptures that you have memorized or how many scriptures I have memorized. It's not on how many books of the New Testament or the Old or Proverbs or Psalms that we've memorized, but it's really about sharing our story one with another. And how many know everybody here has a testimony? I remember my testimony is very, very simple. I went with wrong motives to the Catholic Charismatic meeting 41 years ago. And when I went into the meeting, I had one thing on my mind, but God had something else on my mind. And how many know there was a divine setup that he had for me? I ended up giving my life to Jesus that night. Come on. And I, I, I can tell you that it's like a chain broke over my head. I like to describe it like a vice came off me. It just snapped off my mind. And I began to see people in a different light that I had seen them before. I began to see life in a different place. Uh, things broke off of my life that night, and my life is never been the same 41 years later. But then I learned that it was my testimony. When I first started getting, when I first got saved, I just started sharing with everybody. Amen. And I didn't know the Bible that well. I was learning it, but I didn't know it that well. But people were listening because everybody has a story. Look at your name and say, you have a story. And it's your testimony. And then the second thing about the number 10, which is really wild, was the law. And then I started saying, okay, I know the law wasn't given. How many know the law can't save anybody? 
The keeping in the law ain't going to save anyone because the Bible says it's by grace are you saved through faith that not of works lest any man should boast. It's the gift of God. But what, what was the purpose and what was the instruction of the law? Well, you can read all the way through Romans. The law was given to point to the one that could save and his name is Jesus. So what does God use? He uses the law because in our world and our society today, you know, we put everybody on the same playing field and say, well, you know, they're good people and because they're good people, they're going to go to heaven. I went to church and, you know, I, you know, I love God but I really don't connect with them, but I love them. Come on. And so everybody has it. So what do you do? You use the law. And, and so here's what the law says. How many know thou shalt not steal? So has anybody ever stole before? Okay, stole somebody's reputation, stole from somebody. And so, okay, so you've stolen before. Well, how many times do you have to steal to make you a thief? Just one time. Can you all say amen? In the same respect, Jesus said, if you ever looked at someone uh, with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. So how many times you have to how many times you have to be an adulterer to get an adulterer? Can you say amen? And so you use the law to point people to the one that can save, Jesus Christ, the sin bearer. And everybody agreed, said amen. But then the third one was the one that really jumped out on me. So not only do we have a testimony, not only do we have the law of God to use to know it so that we can give men the way and show them their need for the Savior, show them their life, because self-righteousness is one way, and then we also see the lasciviousness. But how many know all have sinned and missed the mark of God? There's not a one of you better than anybody because of what you have done, but not a one of us is any better. But the truth is we're all better than we used to be because of the blood covenant and the blood sacrifice of what Jesus atoned for the sins of the world 2,000 years ago. And we're all better than we used to be now because we have the new birth. Amen? But then the third thing was it's our responsibility. It's not optional over here. It's not something given to Rick. It's not something given to Kathy. It's given to the entire church out here to share our testimony, use the law of God, and it's our responsibility. And that's why Paul, as I read it earlier today, he said it's our responsibility. We are compelled now. There's something inside of us that wants to go and to reach lost mankind. And everybody said, amen. John 15, 16 says this, you didn't choose me but I chose you and I appointed you to go and produce fruit that will last so that my father will give you whatever you ask using my name. It also says in Proverbs eleven twenty three, the fruit of righteousness is a tree of life, but he who wins souls is wise. And then in, and then in 2 Corinthians 5, it says, this means, verse uh, eight, 17, that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, the new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ and given us this task of reconciling people to himself. So we have been given the task of reconciling people. We have been given the, the task of bringing people to God. We are, we are the ones that are called to be the light of the world, right. the salt of the earth. In fact, salt back then was what preserved meat. In that. They didn't have fridges or freezers. They didn't have any way to preserve food. And so they used salt. And once that salt wasn't worth anything, they'd throw it out. And the Bible says we're the salt of the earth. So we are the ones that preserve the earth. We are the preservers. We're the ones that are supposed to, you know, keep things going. And, and we're also the light. And so people, when they're in darkness, because outside of God, people are in darkness. They don't know their way. They don't know the way to God. But we're the ones that show them the way to God. How do we do that? We do that by our testimony, by our good deeds, by, by demonstrating to them the character of God so they can see God in us. 
It's not our good deeds that get us reconciled to God, right. but once we're reconciled to God, the Spirit of God works through us, mm -hmm. and people can see God in what we do. You know, a little while ago, there was a movie that came out um, that I, I really loved this movie. It was called uh, Hacksaw Ridge. Maybe a lot of you saw it. How many and saw it? How many? how many saw the movie? Quite a few of you. Um, it's, it's a pretty gory movie. It's a war movie. Part of it was pretty graphic, but... Um, the story was about a man that was uh, a Christian, a believer, and he had made a vow to God that he would never hold a gun or kill anybody. And he had a reason for that, because he almost murdered his father when he was younger. And so he had made this vow, and he wanted to keep it, because he made the vow to God. And so when he decided to join the army, he wanted to be a medic, and he wanted to just save people. He wanted to join to help people. So he enlisted, and he ended up going to boot camp, and then all of his uh, troop mates, whatever you call them, uh, they, were, they made fun of him, they ridiculed him because of his faith and because of this vow he made and because he wouldn't hold a gun. And so they did all kinds of horrible things to him. They, I mean, they were nasty to him. And they even made him miss his wedding. And uh, they, they just treated him with contempt. But he just chose to love them anyway. So anyway, he goes out, they go off to war, and they go to Hacksaw Ridge, which is the worst battle place. It was during the, uh, with the war with Japan. And so this ridge is, anybody that went up there, when they went up there, the battle was just the fiercest, and many of them were killed and, you know, wounded. So they, so his, his, uh, pardon? Yeah, seven times they tried to take it. Pastor Brian's filling me in on more information here. And uh, so anyway, so his uh, troop mates, they go up on this ridge, and they're in this fierce, horrible battle, and they have to retreat and go back down. So they all go down to safety, and he's at the edge of the ridge, and he's praying, and he's asking God. He knew, you know, he wanted to go down to safety, but he knew he needed to do something, and so he just kept saying, God, I don't know what to do. And then all of a sudden, he heard a cry for help, and he began to rescue people and get them to safety down this ridge. And um, actually, I was talking to um, your friend. <laughs> I know his name. It's just escaping me right now. And uh, he was saying there were actually things this guy did that they never put in the movie because uh, Mel Gibson produced this movie, and he said people wouldn't believe the guy did these things. They were so honorable. And one of the things, like, they didn't put in the movie was he himself was really severely injured by a grenade, and he was being taken out on a stretcher, and then he saw someone more injured than him, and he got off the stretcher and made them take the other guy. So that's just the, the type of character this man had. You know, every time he rescued somebody, he said, one more, one more. And how we need to have that kind of heart towards the lost around us. That we need to do, make the sacrifice and do what we need to get people to, to come to know God. Because they are one lost more. without him. And we need to have the cry of our heart saying, one more, Very one good. more, God. Wow. He went on all night. And every time he rescued a man, he would say, one more, Lord, one more. And he ended up rescuing over 70-some-odd men. I forget how many. How much? 75 men. Thank you, Pastor Brian. He's got all the, all the details here. And he rescued 75 men. But the, the thing that really happened there, though, too, was they, the men he was rescuing were the ones, many of them, that persecuted him when he was in boot camp. And he won over every, the respect of every one of those men to the point where they wouldn't even go up. This is a true story. They wouldn't even go up that ridge without him leading them in prayer. And that is how much an impact he made on their lives. 
And actually, when you watch the film at the end of it, they have the real man there and his some of the people he rescued that were also interviewed. And uh, but see. That's the heart God is looking for in us towards souls, towards a lost and dying world. You know, we are in a battle. It may not look like a battle like that, but people are wounded. People are dying. People are crying out for help. And we need to have that heart where we're saying, God, help me rescue one. And then when we get that person, sure. okay, God, give me another. And then give me another. And, and, you know, he didn't care about himself or his own safety. He just cared about saving those men. And if you haven't seen the film, I recommend it. But uh, it's, it's a powerful message on how we need to be for a lost and dying world. The next part of the story that is so powerful over here, when you look at this, let's go back to Luke chapter 15, 8. And this is the one that really hit me very, very hard for all of us that are here today. It says, suppose the woman had 10 silver coins. We looked at that. That coin was worth like up to 10 days wages in there. But then it says, won't she light a lamp? How many know we, God's not going to do it for us? How many know we got to light our lamp? How many know we got to keep the oil in there? The Bible speaks about the 10 virgins. Five were ready, five were not. They hadn't trimmed their lamps. And so we see that, the state of unpreparedness. But then it also says, and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it. When I began to meditate on that there, I recognized that when we have stuff that's dusty, it's stuff that is there that hasn't been used in a long time. And what it began to reveal to me is that we allow spiritual clutter. We allow things to come in to our lives. And I was watching a TV program once about hoarders and, and, and how a hoarder, uh, everything that they get, they save every little thing, they pack it all up, they put it all in there. And when you go into the house of a hoarder, they could not even find ways that you could get into certain rooms because there was so much clutter and so much stuff that was all around. And what we fail to realize is how we are in natural things, it parallels directly over into spiritual things. And so when all this clutter is there in the natural, what does it do? It blocks the ways for us to move around. It hinders us from getting in to the things that God has for our life. But it says that the woman, it says she swept the entire house. In other words, there wasn't some things that she allowed to stay in, but she kept sweeping the house. And, and during that time in history, they didn't have the tile floors or the ceramic floors or the, uh, or the uh, floors that we have with carpets on them back there. Most of the floors were dirt floors. But if there was anything in there, they're in a search, and the search is an earnest search out there, but they had to sweep the floor. We need to, as believers, sweep the floor of offenses. Come on. We need to be, as believers, sweep the floor of the distractions that the enemy brings our way. Why? To hinder us from our responsibility. To hinder us from the purpose that we are here. If his purpose was to seek and to save that which is lost, then how many know his purpose is now our purpose here? The only unfinished book in the whole Bible is the book of, is the book of Acts. Amen? Why? Because it continues on and was meant to continue on right up until the final trumpet sound when the dead in Christ will rise first then we which are alive and remain. 
shall not precede them. So it's time that God's saying this. We got to get the clutter out of our houses. We got to get the clutter off of the books. There's some of you that are here today and your Bible has collected all kinds of dust. Why? Because it's just been sitting there. It hasn't been open in weeks. It hasn't been open in months. And what happens? It's sitting there. And guess what? It collects dust. It was never meant to collect dust. Why? Because his word is a light unto our path. It's a light unto our feet. Can you say amen today? And we need to understand that this woman took the responsibility to what? To sweep the house. She had to humble herself. And we recognize about dust. Number one is we are made of dust. According to Genesis 2, 7, it says that God formed man out of the dust of the ground. What happens in cremation? We go back to dust. But guess what? God, even out of the ashes, is going to release us, okay, from that fallen state and make us the new man that he's called us to be. We understand something else about dust out there. Dust is something that just accumulates over time inside of our lives and like hurts in our life, offenses in our life, bitterness inside of our life, jealousies inside of our life are the things that clutter up the depths of our heart. And what God's saying, Pastor Brian, come on up here. What God's saying to all of us today is you need to sweep the floor of your house and you need to do it carefully and you need to do it diligently to get it off the precious things that are there and and, and not just to have a half hour. Well, you know what? I'll get to it tomorrow. I'll get to it next day. Isn't it amazing when Jesus went into his temple, the Bible says he saw the money changes that was there. They were in the right place, but they were doing the wrong things. Can you say amen? And God said, these are the things that need to go. And Jesus flipped over the money changers tables. And then what did he do? He cleaned the house that day. And then what happened? Then they brought in the lame. Then they brought in the blind. And guess what? The healing power of God, the salvation of God was now released. Why? Because he had to unclutter the house. He had to get the junk off the house. And what God's saying to all of us at WCF today is what clutter is coming on? What clutter has been allowed inside of your heart? What have you allowed inside of your life to clutter up, to block your spiritual arteries, to block the pathway of life, to block the salvation of mankind? What is it in your life that needs to go today? Maybe it's an attitude. Maybe it's an adjustment that you need to make. Maybe it's just a tweaking to get fine-tuned into the presence of God. But there's something in between that has blocked you. My keyboard on my computer will not work right if there's a lot of dust that's building up. You got to spray it off. You got to sweep it off. You got to get it out. So today, as we break bread together, ask yourself the question, what's cluttering your life today? What is in your life today? There's people today, you've allowed your spiritual filters to be clogged up today because of the dust. And you'll watch things today that five years ago you said you would never watch. There's people today that five years ago said there's things you'd never do, but you're doing those things today because it only takes a little leaven to leaven the whole lump. It only takes a little bit of dust to start, and then what will happen? It's a magnet to collect more and more and more. Let's all stand to our feet. I believe that there's worries. I believe that there's pride. I believe that there's addiction. I believe that there's selfishness. I believe that there's insecurities. I believe that there's pessimism. I believe that there's argumentativism. I believe that God wants to sweep the houses today. Why? So that he can move in your life. He can reveal things in your life. He can use you as his instrument to share your testimony with the word of God and to break the chains, to break the 
the darkness and all that fear that's hindered you. He wants to release it off your homes. He wants to release it off of your life. I'm telling you, I'm just sensing strongly. There's people that this decluttering is huge. It's jumping out. You got to declutter your life. There's things that are there today that need to go. There's relationships that you have that you know are pushing you to the edge that need to go. There's things that you're watching. There's things that you're doing. And if you're crying out today, that's sin, that's condemnation. Listen, you need to sweep your house. You need to take responsibility for your house and get your house cleaned up today. What a time to do it. But if that's you, sir, if that's you, ma'am, today, and you say, man, I, you know, Pastor Rick, I, I, I've allowed, man, stuff to clutter my house. I'm one of them hoarders. I got all kinds of stuff that I know I'm hanging on to that I got to release today. I need to get them off my life. I'm sensing there's others. There's idolatry that's in your life from anything that would occupy the place due given to God inside your life. It's time to empty it. It's time to take the broom. It's time to get it off of your life. So if you're here tonight, uh, you're here this morning, whatever we are, afternoon, I don't even know, but you say, man, I need to declutter my life, then come on down wherever you're at and let's get this together. Let's take a step of faith. Let's declutter our lives and get rid of the junk. Let's take the broom and let's start sweeping and getting it off. Look at your neighbor, says he talking to you today. And if that's you, just come on right up to the front here. Come right up here as close as you can. And we're going to break bread together and we're going to sweep the floors of our house. We're going to get the junk off of our house. We're not going to wait for someone else to trim our lamp or someone else to get us started or someone else to move us. But we're going to take responsibility for our hearts and our lives to declutter. So here's a broom and start sweeping the floor. Here's the broom. Start sweeping the floor. There you go, buddy. Start sweeping the floor. And then hand it up. Come on right down. All the way down. There's just something about when the people respond. There's just something about it. We don't want that clutter in there. I'm just sensing strongly. And I don't even know this. There's hoarders all over this here house. And you've allowed that in the natural realm to affect things in your life, to block passages in your life. And God wants it. And it's even got into your spiritual life. And you don't even recognize it. You don't even see it because it's a mindset that's going on. And God's saying, it's time, church. It's time to let it go. There's people watching by live stream. It's your time now. It's your time to be clean. And you're going to go out of here different than you came in the place today. I'm sensing there's even more that are out there. And you're just saying, yeah, and I just, you know, you know, that's for them. But it's really not that bad a clutter. I'm going to tell you something. The process has already began. And it's not going to shift around till you make that decision. Till you see yourself stepping up to the plate.